0: A bad battery, so what that means is we're gonna have a great night tonight, okay? It's, up, it's, on. it's on now, okay? Great, well, wonderful crowd. We, of course, began to hear reports that um, there were many coming, many new ones. I'd just be curious here. I know there'll be others, I'm sure, coming in tomorrow that we're not able to be in tonight, but I am uh, curious just to know um, kind of the, the chemistry here of the crowd. So, how many of you, this is the first time you've been to a holiness conference here. All's Baptist Church, first time. Wonderful, that's just wonderful. You can put your hands down. How many of you would say this is your second time? Second time, how many second timers? Great, wonderful, you came back, that's wonderful. <laughs> and uh, and how many would be three or more? Three or more, the veterans, there they are. Okay, great, it's good to have you. You're the ones that uh, get here early and put your notebooks on the seat. Okay, so <laughs> we know who you are. <laughs> Well, it is a great delight to, to be here tonight, to be able to open the conference. God burdened my heart back a few months ago when the theme surfaced. And if we're going to deal with the glorious gospel, it is very important for us to understand what the gospel is not. Tonight, I want to submit to you that there are more than one gospel. There is a gospel the Bible warns us about. Now, you think about it, friends. If you were in prison and you were sentenced perhaps to life in prison, and you received a pardon from the governor of whatever state you were in, that would be good news. That would be a genuine gospel. It would be genuine good news. But if you received word that they would let you out if you were able to give $20 million, and they said that was good news, that wouldn't be good news, especially if you didn't have any money. (laughs) That would be a false gospel. Tonight, I want us to investigate the fact that there is a false gospel. The Bible exposes it. and I want to submit to you that it has the fingerprints of the enemy all over it. All of us in a room like this tonight, nobody would disagree with the fact that there's a false gospel. If we know anything about the book of Galatians, we know that's what it's about. But what I want to submit to you tonight, could it be that even a room like this, that there are fingers of the false gospels in lives all over this room? That's what I'm going to submit to you is a real possibility tonight. So let's investigate this particular book. And we're going to take a, a different, different uh, like a rocket ride, I guess, through the book of Galatians is the best way to put it. Now let me just, uh, before I start, there's um, something that this is not original with me. Some of you are familiar with 2 Timothy 3.16. Don't turn there for time. But it says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable For? For? Four? Four? Now, we know that verse. I think we've proved that tonight. I've heard it said, and you probably have too, that doctrine is what is right. Reproof is what is wrong. Correction is how to make it right. And instruction in righteousness is how to keep it right. Now, I, have, um, I was raised in a, in a home that was independent fundamental Baptist. And uh, my father was one of the leaden- leaders in the independent movement. And um, I grew up in a good home. And I will say about our movement, this would certainly not characterize my father, but uh, observing our movement, I think we did a pretty good job back then telling people what was wrong. And I think we did a pretty good job telling people what was right. And I'm dead serious about this. I think we did a half-decent job of telling people how to make it right. You know where I think we dropped the ball? We didn't tell them how to keep it right. Now, that's an overstatement. That's broad-brushing the movement. But tonight, I want to submit to the fact that as a result of not being clear there, that fingers of the false gospel have gotten into hearts tonight. And I'm hoping that as we look at Galatians, we will investigate whether or not that wrong thinking has invaded our thinking. So tonight, I'd like us to, if you have your notebooks, please open it up, because I I have felt a picture can be worth a thousand words, so we're going to investigate here tonight using a picture. But if you take your notebook there, we're going to look at, first of all, the problem of the heteros gospel. I think some of you are recognizing that's a Greek word. We're going to investigate it here in just a moment. I've entitled this message, The Inglorious Gospel. Because in a moment we'll see that what the gospel, this is the the heteros gospel, is is an opposite gospel. We'll see that here in just a moment. Now if you would please, join me with looking at, if you don't have a notebook, look at uh, at Galatians chapter number 1, verses 6 and 7. I want to read those verses. That's what I would consider to be the purpose statement of the book of Galatians. Back, I'm guessing it was a decade ago here at Baptist College of Ministry, I uh, taught the, a course in the book of Galatians. Now, an evangelist teaching a whole book, that's a new one. I mean, we preach one message, that's it, and then we move on. And uh, this one I had to study for. Don't take that the wrong way. But anyway, so... Uh, sorry, Dave. Um, but, uh, but anyway... Um, but I remember when I began to really study this book, I came to the very clear conclusion that this, these verses are really the purpose statement. They tell us what this book is all about. So join me in looking at this. It says, uh, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, most of us are aware that those two another's are two different words. If you look in your notes, you'll see what those words are, and so what I'd like us to do is to read the verse of scripture and put those, those different anothers in there as they are. The first another is the word heteros. Uh, in our culture, we would, unfortunately, we'd find that word more in the heterosexual versus homosexual arena. That's where that word would be used the most. Uh, then the second word is the word alas, and it is a different word another. A uh, first word is another of a different kind. The second is another of the same kind. So I'd like to read the purpose statement again, putting in those definitions so we understand it. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ, unto another kind, uh, another of a different kind of gospel, which is not another of the same kind. Now the first thing I want us to notice, that this heteros gospel is a different gospel. It is not the same gospel. Another second, something else that would help us, the word pervert. If you look down, it's not only another gospel, it is a perverted gospel. Notice the word pervert. It means, quote, to reverse, to change, to the opposite, to turn about. Most of us understanding the concept in the Bible of perverse, we understand that. It means to be twisted, turned about, turned to the opposite. So I want us to recognize that this uh, heteros gospel is an opposite gospel. So whatever the gospel is, The heteros gospel is the opposite of it. Now, as a result of trying to help us articulate this and see it tonight, there's a little chart in your books. I want you to reference the chart and help me fill out the chart. You should have three blanks there under the true gospel. And then, of course, there for you is the heteros gospel. If you'll notice, first of all, the divine means. Now, we're going to be a little bit technical here just for a few moments. And then, once we've laid a foundation, we'll make our application. If you'd go to Galatians chapter number two, verse number 20, um, 20 uh, excuse me, yeah, 21, uh, Galatians chapter two, verse t- uh, 24, I believe you'll find there, uh, help us to fill in that blank. So let's read that together. And then you endeavor to fill in what the divine means would be of the true gospel. The heteros gospel is the law. We see it here in this verse. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then is Christ dead in vain. So the opposite in this particular verse of the law would be grace. Now, if you want to put in Christ, that would be very similar, and that wouldn't be a problem with that. And that's in that verse as well, because obviously God's greatest grace to us is Jesus Christ. So grace would be the opposite of law. Then human means, go down to chapter number 3, verse number 2. This only what I learn of you received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. So on the human means, the the heteros gospel, if the human means or access or appropriation, however you like to package it, is works, then the true gospel, the human access or appropriation, would be Faith. faith. Boy, you're doing a great job. You can fill in faith. There you go. So thus far, so good. Let's go down to verse number three now. And the uh, false gospel has flesh, is its power. Now notice, if you would please, verse number three gives us the opposite. Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? So the opposite power of flesh is spirit. Okay, so we're seeing very clearly. In fact... Uh, I remember years ago talking with Doc Flanders about this particular uh, formula, our chart, and he had come up with a a mathematical equation. Law plus works plus flesh equals bondage. And the true gospel would be grace plus faith plus spirit equals liberty. Then, of course, in Galatians 5.1, you don't have to turn there for time. It gives us the opposite here. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has set us free, and be not entangled in the yoke of bondage. Okay, so I want us to see that the result of the false gospel is bondage and the result of the true gospel is liberty. Those are opposites. Everything about these gospels are completely opposites. Now, there's one thing that's not in the notes I'd like to see. Not only do we see another gospel, a perverted gospel, but I want us to recognize that the true gospel is a protected gospel. If you'd notice, if you would please, in Galatians chapter 1, verse number 12, I want you to understand that the true gospel, looking at the true gospel, this is the opposite now of uh, the heteros gospel, the true gospel was not received from men. Look at Galatians 1 and verse number 12. For I neither received it of man, neither was taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Friends, I'm not sure human beings could have come up with the true gospel. It was given by revelation from Almighty God. Now it's interesting in the chapter two, go to verse number 14. We're moving quickly here. But look what the Apostle Paul, how, how um, serious he took the defense of the true gospel. We saw the false gospel. Now I'd like just to just looking at the, the true gospel for a moment. Look what verse 14 of chapter number two. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all. Now I want you to recognize that here's the Apostle Paul. He sees Peter. As we, are we have, having trouble here? Okay, can you somebody come and get me a battery because I, the electronic leash will not work for me. I, um, if uh, you keep me in the, uh, I will be in huge trouble. Okay, no problem, we'll get this. That's all it means. It's not the battery, okay? just take this, just keep going. Okay, okay, and I've worked in youth evangelism now for 28 years, and you know what that means? We're gonna have a gully washer tonight, that's what it means. Okay, so don't get worried. And uh, I'll just stay by here. Uh, while we're doing all the technical stuff, it's easy to stay right here. When we get to the fun stuff, it's hard to stay in the same spot. Okay, so if you're getting bored, I am too, but we're getting to the good stuff. Okay, so we're getting there. We got we to lay the foundation, folks. So uh, now when you're preaching to teenagers, it takes five minutes to lay the foundation, but you people look smart. So I, well, I shouldn't have said that, that comes up. Okay. they'll be working on getting me something here in just a moment. Now, friends, the false gospel, the true gospel. Now, let's just think for a moment because, well, let's go to Galatians chapter number 2. Look at verse number 16. This is how we think of uh, the, 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 the characteristics of both gospels are put in this verse as obviously in contrast. It says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified By the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now I think all of us recognize when it comes to salvation, if you're in this room and saved, you didn't get saved by what you did. You got saved by trusting what he did. (laughs) Now we understand that. So salvation or justification is not by what I do. It is by trusting what he's already done. Now, that's not a shock to anybody in this room. We understand that. Now, think about this. I grew up with the gospel. I cannot remember the first time I heard the gospel. I can't. I can't remember a day when I didn't know the gospel. But you know, my friend, probably, I think it's fair to say, most people on this planet remember the first time they've heard it if they have heard it. Now, put yourself for a moment in the shoes of someone who has never heard the gospel. Here you are, without hope, hell bound, the burden of sin upon you, recognizing there's no assurance of hope of any home of, uh, hope of heaven. And all of a sudden, somebody comes along and they preach to you the good news that although men are sinner, men are sinners, headed to hell. If you'll trust Jesus, He died on the cross, shed His blood, and rose again. And if you'll trust Him, He'll keep you out of hell, wash your sins away, and give you eternal life. That's good news. <laughs> remember years ago, reading the book Cowboy Boots in Darkest Africa. Some of you remember that book, and particularly the story that intrigued me, was the story about that pygmy village that the late Dr. Bill Rice went in to preach the gospel. Now this pygmy village had never seen a white man, let alone somebody six foot two inches tall from Texas. And uh, Dr. Bill Rice walked in there, and unbeknownst to him, there was one of the natives in that village who years before had come to the conclusion that whatever we are doing religiously down here, we are missing it. This is, cannot be the true God. And he looked around the jungle and he looked up at night in the stars and he recognized that there was a being that made all that. And he began the habit of every single day climbing the tallest palm tree in the jungle and crying out to the God who made all this, would you please send me the truth? One day God sent a six-foot-two Texan into that pygmy village. He preached through four interpreters. Now I'll be honest with you, brother, to preach through one interpreter is, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, that's rough stuff. (laughs) Four. I'll be honest with you, when I preach through one interpreter, I'm not sure they're getting what I'm saying. I found that to be true because one of my interpreters is a student at Baptist College of Ministry, and before he was an interpreter, he was, uh, I mean, before he was a student here, he was an interpreter for me in in the country of Ghana, and he's admitted to me that he couldn't understand me, and he just preached his own message. (laughs) Now that'll deflate your mission trip. That'll do it. <laughs> Lady, probably your messages didn't get interpreted either. Okay, so. Four interpreters. Dr. Bill gave the gospel to those four interpreters, gave an invitation. You know what? He had a convert that day. And you can imagine that man who climbed that tallest palm tree every day when that's six foot two. Texan walked into his village and preached the gospel it was good news <laughs> see sometimes we forget the glory of the good news some of us here on Sunday in Sunday school saw the little missionary video e I'm sure some of you are familiar with that and every time I watch that I cannot be helped but be unbelievably moved at a village who saw heard the gospel for the very first time and when it all clicked to them they, as they trusted the Lord they just rejoiced it's good news, friend. If you're a hellbound sinner tonight, if you have no hope of heaven, and you've got a burden of sin, I've got good news for you. You'll trust Jesus. He'll wash your sins away and save you tonight. Amen. It's good news. In other words, friend, it's just like if you were in life in sentence, and the governor sent you a pardon, that'd be good news. But I've got something better than that. You may be in the prison of sin, but there's a, there's a God in heaven who's sending you a pardon tonight, who's His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. See, See, that's good news. We, we understand that. The religions of the world say, try, try, try. The Bible says, trust. The religions of the world say, do, do, do. And the Bible says, no, no, it's done. Now, friends, under, we all understand that when it comes to the gospel, to the sinner. And, and it, we recognize the great glory of it. You know, every religion, the, the, the difference between Bible, Christianity, and every religion is simply this. Every religion's got a list. Every religion has, okay, this is what you got to do to get to heaven. And the Bible says, no, 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 it's already done. Just trust Jesus. He's already done it. Now, that's good news. We all understand that, friend. But here's, here's the dilemma. We're going somewhere tonight, so, so hang on. We're going somewhere. And the, the, the book of Galatians was not written to people trying to get to heaven by good works. Now, the book of Galatians addresses it because this is foundational. But I want you to understand that the book of Galatians was written to God's people. Nine times in the book is found the word brethren. In verses 3 and 4, if you go back to the very first chapter, you'll notice he says, Grace be you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice the first person plural? He didn't say grace to you from my Father. He didn't say grace to you from my Jesus. He said our These people were brothers and sisters in Christ, saved on the way to heaven, and they were guilty of heresy. The inglorious gospel, the heteros gospel, the false gospel had penetrated in. Now, we've already alluded to this, but sometimes we have a tendency to think of the gospel only in the sense of the gospel to the sinner, and thank the Lord if that's all the gospel there was, we would certainly recognize that it would be a great gift. But you know, my friend, the, this book of, of Galatians teaches us that the gospel doesn't stop when you got saved. The gospel started. <laughs> See? Now, the gospel of the sinner is easy. I mean, here we are in the sense that we're lost, hellbound sinners, and it's good news. Jesus died on the cross. You trust him, he'll save you. i got good news for you. The gospel of the saints is easy, too. <laughs> in the sense that, friends, it's like this. The gospel of the saint is the good news that Jesus delivers defeated Christians by trusting uh, him, and he'll deliver you from sin's power. See, the gospel of the sinner is faith for Jesus to deliver us from sin's penalty. The gospel to the saint is trusting Jesus Christ to deliver us from sin's power. The gospel of the sinner is a one-time decision. The gospel of the saint is from the day you get saved to the day you die. It's a series of faith trusts for Jesus to deliver you from sin's power by faith. Thus, I want to submit to you that the book of Galatians tonight, primary emphasis is a book on sanctification. Now, it's absolutely essential for us to understand this because I think it's sometimes we have a tendency to look at Galatianism and say it's talking about the... uh, The gospel being infiltrated with works. And and certainly we recognize, folks, and this is important to see, that the difference between the true gospel and the difference between the false gospel when it comes to salvation is the difference between heaven and hell. It's a big deal. If you're here tonight endeavoring through human effort to get to heaven by some list, then, my friend, you need the good news. You're headed to an eternity in a place called hell, but there's good news if you'll trust Jesus. He'll save you. See, it's a huge difference. It's a big deal. May I submit to you that it's also a big deal when it comes to the Christian? Let me put it this way. Sanctification is not by works. It's by faith. Just as we trust Jesus to deliver us from sin's penalty, the gospel of the saint is trusting Jesus to deliver us from sin's power. Now, understanding that then, We'll go to Roman numeral number two here, the ramifications of the heteros gospel. What are the ramifications in the realm of sanctification? Now, we have three things here, but I think it's important for us to identify what are we talking about when we talk about sanctification by works? What are we talking about when we are looking it works for me. In fact, go back to your chart just for a moment. I know you're turning. You just turned, and you want to go back to your chart. But go back to your chart because we need to see something here before we get on. And that is, look at that chart and look at me. What are look? At, I'm sorry. Look at look at your chart, and then then come up with this this answer. And the answer would be this: What is the trigger point? What of those lines? Which one of those lines would? be the one that we have the responsibility. In other words, if we do one side, we trigger into the heteros gospel. We do the other side, we trigger in the true, true gospel. So what line is our responsibility? What line is the trigger that determines which direction, which gospel we, we go into? And the answer is? It would be, okay, human means or faith versus works. Now understanding that, go back then to the ramifications of the false gospel. The thing that triggers the false gospel is works mentality. And the thing that triggers the true gospel is a faith mentality. So let's think about that. How can you identify, before we get into these three things, these ramifications, how can you identify a works mentality? Well, I think it's pretty much it's flesh dependence. It's self-dependence. How about this? I can do this. (laughs) You know what happens? We get saved by totally desperation, total trusting Jesus. God, I'm going to hell. I'm trusting you to save me. And then we get up and say, okay, God, thanks for saving me. Now I'm going to try to live the Christian life. So um, how about this one? You ever heard this? When you get knocked down, get up and try harder the next time. You know what that is? It's the false gospel. It works. i got to try harder. Um, at first, if, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. I will tell you, friend, that's the false gospel. Um, How about this one? (laughs) Give your best to the master instead of trusting for the master's best in you. My brother John puts that in one of his songs. (laughs) Here's a little subtle one. Boy, I need God's help. When you say I need God's help, what you're saying is, God, I can do part of it, and I need you to help me. You know that verse of scripture is so wonderful there in 2 Corinthians 12 9. It says, uh, My grace is sufficiency, for my strength is made perfect. The word weakness is literally in the Greek the word strength with an A before it. The alpha, we all know, is simply negates the word behind it. So the concept, biblical concept of weakness, is not, I got a little bit of strength. No, the biblical concept of weakness is, I don't have any strength. Now, we're not talking about physical strength. We have a tendency to think of strength physically. You know, we see a big football player, and we say, boy, he's strong. He's, he's got physical strength. And, and of course, I, I, we always are wowed by the big home run hitter, and, or we're wowed by the big football player. And I was a huge Walter Payton fan, and, and I would just love Walter Payton running down the field with three defenders hanging on him and carry him all into the end zone. We like that physical specimen of strength, especially if you're from Chicago. Uh, but anyway, we enjoyed those, that era. That was about the only era Chicago Bears fans have ever enjoyed. <laughs> We're living in the past. We're glorying in those those moments. It will probably never happen again. Uh, But um, we all enjoy strength. We think of strength that way. But when God is addressing strength here, friends, it is not the idea. It's spiritual strength. When it comes to spiritual strength, I am telling you, friend, I am completely bankrupt, and so are you. You know, you've seen it. The kid in the Christian school, the big athlete, you know, the big cool dude. And somebody cusses in, in, in the locker room. You know what he does? He laughs. You know what he shows? He has physical strength. He has no spiritual strength. He is a spiritual wimp. He has nothing. And then I've seen a little junior high kid at our Friday night campfire service get up and give a very courageous, bold testimony that could, could barely bench press the bar. You know what I'm talking about? You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? It's no weights on the bar, okay? You know what I'm talking about? See, he lacks, that, that kid, that, that kid has hardly any physical strength. Man, he tapped into somebody's spiritual strength. See, I used to think, and it certainly didn't come from my, my upbringing, just the way I wired, I used to think that the Christian life was weak little me trying to be stronger, and somehow as I grew older, I just hoped I'd get stronger. That's Maybe, you know, enough this and that and that, whatever, I'd be stronger. You know what I've learned? The Christian life is not weak little me trying to be stronger. The Christian life is weak little me tapping into his strength. It says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's what it says. Striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. I am weak, friends, and I will always be weak. I am completely devoid and bankrupt of spiritual strength, and so are you. So the ramifications of the heteros gospel sometimes can be subtle, like, God, I need your help, which is, I can do part of it, God, but you got to help me. No, friends, just be strong in the Lord. We need his strength. Now, let me give you an illustration how this suddenly can infect us, okay? Um, If I were to preach tonight, let's just imagine I was preaching tonight, and it was a group of unsaved teenagers. And let's just imagine tonight that there were several unsaved, and you were in the back, and you were praying, and... And I'm preaching, and let's imagine I'm preaching along, and I preach sin black. And, boy, you're saying, that's right, Brother Van Gelden. Boy, I preach sin black. And I preach hell hot. And, about fact, sin will put you in hell. And, boy, you're saying, that's right, Brother Van Gelden. Let it rip. And then all of a sudden, I close the service and walk out the door. Would you be bothered? Yeah, you would be really bothered. Why? What would the average kid out there who had begun to be under conviction, what would be the average kid's response? Oh, man, man, I'm sitting around I gotta stop sinning, man. I gotta clean up my act. I wanna ask you a question. Is that the answer? No. Not only is it not the answer, don't miss this, it does damage to the right answer. So, okay, let me just switch to camp now and Christian kids. Preacher gets up, man. It's on sin, rips it up. You're back there, man, let them have it. Yeah, parents, yeah, let them have it on that stuff. Yeah, dishonoring parents, yeah, media. Yeah. And you're just back there cheering me on. And I talk about how sin will scar your life, it'll destroy you, grieve the Holy Spirit. You're back there, yeah, that's great. Close the surface and walk out. You know what most fundamentalists say? Boy, that was a great message, wasn't it? What's the average kid out there going, oh man, I got to clean it up, man. I got to get, I, I got to stop doing this. Is that the answer? No, don't, please don't miss this. Not only is that not the right answer, it does damage to the right answer. You know why? It's self-dependence. Man, i got to clean it up, man. i got to stop this, man. It doesn't work, does it? Does it? You know why? That's why you've heard it, and, I, and I'm not certainly broad-brushing all camps. Thank the Lord there are exceptions. But I'm not broad-brushing all camps. But haven't we heard the famous, the famous two words, a camp decision? I want to ask you a question. Is that a complimentary phrase? No, that's by people who are saying, yeah, that was a camp decision. And friends... Again, again, I'm not broad, I want to be careful here. I'm not broad brushing all camps. I'm just simply saying, we understand these venues. That's the false gospel. Anytime we're saying, I got to do this or I got to clean it up or I got to stop this and looking to ourselves as part or all of the solution. We are not only got the wrong answer, we are doing damage to the right answer. Now, Let's look at these ramifications because we already got dealt with the trigger. Trigger When you're into works mentality, uh, works mentality, false gospel, faith mentality, true gospel. So what happens when you get into the works mentality? Look, if you would, please. Now we're going to spend a little more time on these texts. Go to Galatians chapter number 3. Let's look at verses 2 and 3. Now if you, you're really with me in thinking here tonight, the apostle Paul is, is burdened. I mean, he's into this. And notice, if you would please ask a series of questions, that I am going to ask you tonight, would you corporately as a body answer Paul's questions tonight? Okay, so here it is. This only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. And the answer is? By the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish? Don't answer that one. Um, <laughs> having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? And the answer is? No. If you're not made perfect, and we understand it to be complete, mature, okay, it's perfect in the sense of uh, perfection and maturity, okay, so if, um, if, we're, if we're not made perfect by the flesh, what are we made perfect by? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. Now, what activates or appropriates the Holy Spirit's work in our life? And the answer is works or faith. So I want you to understand a works mentality triggers us into a dynamic. We are living a Christian life with no Holy Spirit. Now look, if you would please uh, hear one of the a commentator, uh, let's look at the second quote. Actually, the first quote means the present tense of the verb here indicates the Galatians had already begun this attempt. They had gotten saved by faith. They were true believers. But now they were attempting in the sanctification process, they were attempting to be made perfect by fleshly effort. It already had begun. We says in a second quote there, thus these Christians who had begun their Christian lives in dependence upon the Holy Spirit were now depending upon self-effort to continue in the work of sanctification which the Holy Spirit had begun. Is that the right answer? It's not only, right, it's not only the, wrong, the wrong answer, friends, it's doing damage. Now, not only is there no Holy Spirit, to go to chapter number 5. That's tragic enough, but there's another inference here. Galatians chapter number 5, verse number 4. Let's go there. And, of course, I believe if you look at verse number 31 of chapter number 4, this is important as we interpret this passage to understand who is he talking about. So who is he talking to? Verse 31. Now let's look at the third word. So then you tell me. Brethren, who's this written to, saved or lost? Saved. Save. Okay, look at verse number four. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Now, friends, Christ at one time was a, uh, uh, an effect unto them. Whosoever you are justified by the law. That word justified is in the present tense. It's used in a sanctifying sense. Okay, whosoever of you are seeking to be declared to be righteous by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. Now, you can't fall from grace if you never had a hold of it. Years ago, I had a guy travel on my team. I shouldn't say this. If you've got young kids, stop their ears. But anyway, I had a guy with me, traveling with me, and one day they pulled a practical joke on their mom. Uh, he had a bunch of brothers, and they went into the bedroom, took the clothes off one guy, changed clothes, and they put, put, made a dummy out of this guy's clothes. It was exact clothes that he'd been wearing that day. Then they hoisted the dummy up into a tree, the top of a tree. And then they all began to freak out. Mom, Mom, Tommy's falling out of the tree. Tommy's falling out of the tree. Well, you know, mom ran out the door. Sure enough, they let that dummy go. Boom, 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 all the way down. Now, you see why I told you to top your kids' ears? (laughs) They told me their mom didn't think it was funny. They didn't think it was funny at all. (laughs) In fact, judgment day fell. I mean, it was was not a good deal. But you know, that, that dummy can't fall from where it was not. It fell from the top of the tree because that's where it was. You can't fall from grace unless one day you had a hold of it. And I will tell you, if you're saved tonight, there was one day you got a hold of grace. So the tragedy of the false gospel to us Christians, when you get into a false gospel or an inglorious gospel mentality, not only is there no Holy Spirit help, there's no aid from heaven, there's no grace when they go together. Of course, the spirit of grace, grace is all that which the Holy Spirit imparts. He's in it. Now look what H.A. Ironside says. This is an unbelievable quote. He says, now if as Christians we try to make ourselves acceptable to God by some human effort, we have fallen from grace. Notice this. Yes, we believe that about three-fourths of Christendom have fallen from grace. That was written, of course, probably 75 years ago. Now, the results of this false gospel... I think we're beginning to see there's no supernatural. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have the supernatural. So a false, a Christian who's in the false gospel is not involved. There's not a supernatural dynamic in their life. There's no help from heaven. It's all explainable. There aren't miraculous uh, answers to prayer. There are not miraculous ministry situations. There's no supernatural. There's something else I think. I think we can, if there's no grace, and there's no Holy Spirit, there can be no fruit of the Spirit. That means there's no genuine love. Any love is syrupy sentimentality. It's human in its origin. It's that which a lost man can produce. It is not genuine Holy Spirit love. It's impossible. The false gospel cannot produce Holy Spirit fruit, love. It cannot produce joy. It can't produce peace. It can't produce gentleness. And the whole list and the list can go on. It can't do it, why, friends, because only those fruits can come from Holy Spirit action in our lives. So we're beginning to recognize this false gospel has some pretty serious consequences. Nothing supernatural, no no fruit of the Spirit, no love, no faith which worketh by love. Okay, there's there's no faith, obviously. Now, there's one other thing. Notice, no liberty. Galatians chapter number 4, verse number 9. If you go there, just doing a great job hanging with me. Verse number 9, it says, But now, after that ye have known God, or are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements which you desire again to be in bondage. That word weak is the same word weak we were talking about a moment ago, without strength. So we're finding here, not only is there no liberty, there's bondage. There is no supernatural strength. All you've got is physical strength. No supernatural strength. No help from heaven. No grace. No enablement. Sounds to me like the ramifications of the false gospel are a big deal. And for the gospel to the sinner, it's the difference between heaven and hell, but to the gospel to the saint, it's the difference between victory and defeat. Bondage and liberty. Joy and despair. Sounds to me like it's a pretty big deal. Now, considering all this, friends... Why is it then we slip into this false gospel? Why is it that we have trouble with this? Well, I think, friends, I think it's important for us to understand, obviously faith is the trigger. So what is it about faith that is lacking? Well, think about this for a moment. I love that verse of Scripture. You've seen it. Um, How can they uh, uh, call on him in whom they have not believed? The very word call. Has the idea, you see, sometimes we think of call as pray, but a call and a prayer are different. Now, every call is a prayer, but not every prayer is a call. Call unto me and I. God always answers a call. Let me say it again God always answers a call. There has never been a call in my life that God did not answer. A call is not raising your voice, though you might be raising your voice when you call. You say, well, Richard, what is a call? call is when you're drowning. And you recognize, I'm going to die. And you call out, save me, with an expectancy that whoever you're calling to will do it. So understanding then, friend, what precedes a call? I mean, you can't call unless you believe. So the very essence of a call, don't miss this, is that you are absolutely in need and there is no option of help other than the one you're calling to. So in a spiritual sense, a call means you've come to a desperate situation, there is no human way out, and you call on God to do what you know you cannot do, expecting him to do it. And you know what God says? Call unto me, and he always answers the call. He always answers the call. He always answers the call. But you will never call until you're desperate, until you see your need, until you realize I'm in trouble. There's no way out. It's only God. He's my only hope. And you call, and he answers you. You couldn't just generate a call right now. A call is in those circumstances of life, don't miss this, when you are absolutely, completely understanding your need, So why then do we so easily slip into the works mentality? Because a faith mentality presupposes an absolute understanding of your need. You see, friends, if you think it, we never say it. But if we don't need God, we slip into the false gospel. Listen, one of the dangers of a young person who has natural public speaking ability is that he will trust his public speaking ability. And I will tell you, the key to preaching is not public speaking ability. It is God. And I will tell you, friends, one of the dangers for someone who's got great logic and and great persuasive abilities and a silver tongue, when it comes to soul winning is they can trust that to win people to Christ. But the truth is, friends, only God can do it through us. So understanding all of this, friends, think about this for a moment. We've all seen a kid go to Bible college. We had great hopes for them. They look good. They keep the rules, never get in any trouble. And then they go out and tank. You know, we say, oh, wow, look at that kid at graduation. Look what happened a couple months after. He just tanked. No, here's the problem is that kid was living the false gospel for those four years. So understanding this this application, our need then, is for us to understand our weakness. If we don't think we we have a need, we think we can do it without him. The truth is there's nothing spiritual, nothing eternal, nothing lasting, nothing of any ministry value that can be done without him. So the very burden I would have about our glorious gospel conference is this. You will never be a successful, effective proclaimer of the glorious gospel to the sinner until you are absolutely overwhelmed with the go- glorious gospel to the saint. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. There's times we recognize we win people to the Lord Jesus Christ in our early years of ministry or in the years of effort or as a young Christian. And God, God honors those steps, baby steps of faith. I'm not saying that he doesn't. My point is, somebody has said the average life of a soul winner is... Seven years. That doesn't mean he dies after seven years. <laughs> you know what it means? He quits. Why does he quit? Because, my friend, if you don't lock into the glorious gospel to the saint, there's no way you're going to continue to being the glory. That's why people come up with theologies so they don't have to do it anymore. Theologies of defeat and theologies of this is the way it's going to be and and theologies that kind of explain it all away. So you can stay in ministry, but you're, you're done as far as active outreach. And honestly, friends, in our movement, I have certainly seen our movement give up when it comes to outreach. And my contention is the reason we give up is because it goes deeper than that. The reason people give up in evangelism is because they didn't realize it. They were proclaiming the glorious gospel to the sinner while they were living the inglorious gospel to the saint. It was another gospel. It was a heteros gospel. Now, with that understanding, friend, just for a few moments, let's ask the Lord to speak to our own hearts because here's where the rubber meets the road because the truth is the false gospel, if we'll get honest, is really easy to identify in your life? When's the last time you've had a supernatural answer to prayer? When's the last time through your preaching you've seen somebody at the altar broken and their life was changed? I will tell you, friends, I can't change a life. You can't change a life. But he can. It's the glorious gospel. Listen, I'm talking to some dear men in this room tonight and you're defeated tonight because you're defeated in your marriage. You don't think it'll ever be any different. you got problems with your wife. You 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 look good in public, but you know you don't have closeness, and you know there's trouble, and you know that there's there's tension, and you don't believe that God can deliver you. You're in the false gospel. See, we got to wake up. If you don't treat your wife right, how in the world do you think you can go out and proclaim the gospel? You can't. Because your gospel isn't working. Listen, if you're defeated with your kids, if you're defeated in prayer, if you're defeated in ministry, you, you're, not, you're, you're done because you're, you're not in the right gospel. But the good news tonight is you can switch to the right gospel tonight. You know, you get down to an old-fashioned altar tonight and say, God, I'm sick and tired of I'm sick and tired of being a proud husband. I'm sick and tired of not treating my wife right. I'm sick and tired of it. You know what? He'll meet you. That's the gospel. What happens when somebody comes down? Have you ever seen that? We all have. Somebody comes down an aisle to get saved, can barely make it to the preacher, and they start weeping. And they, oh, God, I'm such a wicked sinner. Do you know any Christian on planet Earth is thinking, man, that's good stuff? And it is good stuff, isn't it? (laughs) Because they've come to understand their need. They're overwhelmed by it. My friend, understand the dynamic. So obviously, we're not being delivered from sin's penalty. That's taken care of. But I think it's a similar dynamic being delivered from sin's power. I've seen teenagers freed like that. God can free them from media addictions. God can free them from loving their music. God can free them. God can free you, folks. God can free you if you're defeated here. You got an anger problem. I will tell you, the number one problem I deal with every week in Christian school ministry, the number one problem, bar none, is bitterness. You know why? Hang on. Angry dads. I will tell you, friend, if you are an angry father and you are not living in victory, I'm telling you, friends, that that, that you're in the heteros gospel and you are in Bondage. And tonight, it would be good for you to get down an old-fashioned altar, get on an altar and say, oh, God, I'm sick of it. Oh, God, I need you to deliver me. And I will tell you, you can try as hard as you want to get rid of your anger, but it's going to be God that will deliver you. It's the true gospel. There's probably somebody in this room who has a lust issue. I recognize in the day in which we live, we're all confronted with the temptation to lust. I'm not talking about an occasional Situation where there's some few moments of mental failure. I'm talking about the man or the woman in this room that is absolutely overwhelmed by it. A day cannot go by. You go to that internet filth and you think after you're done, you say, Oh, I just hate myself. I'm never going to do that again. And guess what? Three days later, you're back at it, right? Because you need to be delivered. You need Jesus to deliver you. That's the true gospel. Are you experiencing supernatural grace? Friends, if we are in bondage to any sin, it indicates we're in the wrong gospel because the true gospel liberates. <laughs> Supernatural. Listen, young person. The thing I love in, in, in dealing with young people is many times that you can just see it at the beginning of the week they start to get into their conviction, and their eyes almost look at you. And they, this is what I read, preacher. Don't keep this. I know I'm blowing it. I know I've tried. I've tried many times, and I can't do it. And I will tell you, one of the greatest thrills of ministry is preaching the gospel to the saint. And all of a sudden, hope comes into their eyes. I've tried, but I've never trusted Jesus to deliver me. He can deliver me from those poor media choices. He can deliver me from my music. He can deliver me from my bitterness. Number one issue we see teenagers delivered from is bitterness. And kids say, "I can't forgive her." Well, if you get a hold of the glorious gospel, you can. (laughs) He delivers. So, personal victory, friends. How about this? I remember back in the early of the Christian school movement. I'm all for recognizing we, we, Christian education. I'm all for Christian education. I recognize I, I work in that realm, and I recognize there's needs, and I recognize a lot of wrong philosophies, etc. I recognize that, but I believe biblically it can be done right. You know why? I believe in the gospel. <laughs> But in the early days of the Christian school, when I remember when Christian school leaders would say, we are going to populate the mission field. We are going to, I mean, this is going to bring revival to biblical Christianity. Did it happen? Because I will tell you, friends, rule books don't change people, and I'm not against rule books. The law is the schoolmaster. Don't shoot the schoolmaster. That's not where I'm going. But I will tell you, friend, The law is not wrong, it's just not enough. It's insufficient. And the Bible tells you in this book that it's insufficient because the law's job is to show you that you're in trouble. And it points you to the answer, and you tell me who's the answer. He's the answer. He's the answer, friends. So I remember in those early days of the Christian school movement, you know what I noticed? You know, we... We, we had all these things, and it looked like it was all going to work. But, friends, if you don't have the gospel, it doesn't work. And I I, I, remember, I remember, again, I thank the Lord. I had some good teachers, but I remember teachers who, you know, they'd get angry and never apologize. You know what gospel that was? It wasn't the real one. You know what the real gospel does? The real gospel will come and say, boy, I was wrong. Would not you forgive me? You know, Jesus can deliver you. There's men out here who have never apologized to your wife. I'm telling you, you get a hold of the real gospel, the true gospel. I'm telling you, God can enable you to apologize to your wife. The three most hard words for a human male on planet Earth is, I was wrong. Go someday in the mirror and just try to say those three words all alone. Just try it. Some of you have never said those three words. Do you know that the gospel can free you? (laughs) can free you. I'm talking to guys out here who have not apologized to you, your wife in so long you can't remember the last time you apologized to your wife. I will tell you, sir, either you need to write a book on marriage or you need to get right with God. I'm kind of thinking this is the second one, but I don't like to point fingers. I'm a tactful preacher. So think about this, Friends. Supernatural ministry, powered service, do, 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 how many, do you endure outreach or do you love it? I remember as a teenager, and again, my dad preached these things, I just didn't get it. I remember going on visitation. You know why I went on visitation? I'm going to be dead honest with you because I was the pastor's kid. I'd finish visitation on Thursday night. I'm telling you the honest truth, I'd come home and go, Whew, man, I'm glad that's over. Don't have to do that for another week. Thursday night would be coming. I'm going, oh, no, here we are, visitation. I was so shy, painfully shy. I will tell you, only the glorious gospel can free you. So that you don't endure outreach, you love it. Now, let's look at the final point here for time, the tragedy of the Heteros gospel. Now, let me just say before we introduce our final point is tonight... What I've been trying to do is lay a foundation for the conference. In a certain sense, I'm not really able to deal with it all, but I really am. My endeavor tonight is for us to recognize where are fingers of the false gospel in my life? Where are you defeated tonight? Is your husband there blaming your wife? Is the wife there blaming your husband? You're in the false gospel. You in bondage to watching television? Maybe just wasting time. You in bondage to internet surfing? Just wasting time. Maybe there's inappropriate material, maybe there's not. Just waste time. You in bondage tonight? See, that's the false gospel. Indicates your Christian life is one of works. It's one of self-dependence. It's one of flesh. It's one of I can do this. It's one of God, I'll let you know when I need you. And it doesn't work. See, I know in a glorious gospel conference, you probably expected us to come, and we hope to, encourage you in evangelism, but I cannot encourage you in evangelism if you got the wrong gospel. You're living. Got to get your gospel right. Now, some I know might be out here and say, well, preacher, I don't think it's a big deal. Well, evidently, Paul did because he said, a little leaven leaveneth the what? Just a little bit of false gospel ruins the whole thing. You might think, listen, I can have effective ministry and my marriage have problems. No, it doesn't work that way. Or I can be failing as a father and, or a mother and have effective. No, it doesn't work that way. A little leaven leveleth. That's why your ministry is where it is. There's leaven, the leaven of the false gospel. Now, I know for it's going to take some time for all of us, to, and myself included here, to work through this thing. Now, it's important for all, so you say, well, preacher, what about works? Aren't works important? Now, don't miss this. If works are a means, it's the false gospel. If works are a result of faith, it's the true gospel. So if they're a means, you got problems. If they're a result of faith, that's the way it is. In fact, we sing it often, trust and obey. (laughs) My brother John changes the wording, trust to obey. (laughs) For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Oh, the true gospel brings peace. The true gospel brings joy. The true gospel brings freedom. And let me just understand, help us understand, the freedom we're talking about, friends, is not a false freedom. It's the real deal. Which brings us to the final point, the tragedy of the Heteros gospel. Go to Galatians chapter number 5. Look at verse number 13, if we would, just for a moment. And we'll close this thing down. Galatians chapter number 5, look at verse number 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to what? To flesh. I'm going to just make a statement. Flesh dependence leads to flesh indulgence unless you meet Jesus. And the truth I want us to see tonight is the false gospel will drive people to the exits they're not going to stick around friends and they're going to head for flesh now there's two kinds of flesh indulgences i see none is what i one is what i call spiritual flesh indulgence that's what sometimes is called christian liberty in the wrong sense christian liberty is not the liberty to do what i want to do christian liberty is the liberty to do what he wants me to do see it's true liberty it's liberty from the flesh it's not liberty to the flesh And then there's also what I call worldly liberty, and that is basically when a kid just walks out the door and goes out in the world, and he just does whatever he wants to, flesh indulgence. And I will tell you, friends, if you raise your kids with the false gospel, don't be shocked when they head to the flesh. It might be some new evangelical church down the road that anything goes, or it might be out in the world, but they're both flesh. You see, flesh dependence and flesh indulgence sometimes seem a long way apart, but they're really not. They're both flesh. And all of us out here can think of somebody in your church who was strict, and they and they had they were maybe even illegal, they were legalistic in the way they approached things and and one day they walked out of your church went down to the loosest church on the edge of town and now everything goes and we're saying what happened well the truth is over here they weren't living in the true gospel it was flesh dependence and flesh dependence always gives birth to flesh indulgence that's what it says and the tragedy of the false gospel is people head to the exits, but it's flesh indulgence that's where they're going. And the reason people our young people have left this movement can't be the true gospel. Because I will tell you, friends, when Jesus is seen, he impacts. You you want him. My parents were not perfect. My mother, dear mother, was orphaned. Age nine, she lost her mother. At age 14, she lost her father. She had a difficult time. She could hardly talk about her childhood. It was so painful. But she got a hold of the true gospel. My mother walked with Jesus. I tell teenagers all across this country when I preach on moral purity, I said, really, truth is, I'm not preaching my own message tonight. I'm preaching my mother's. (laughs) You know why I didn't head for the exits? Because she had something real. And I wanted it. My dad didn't grow up what you'd call a sterling home. He had a godly mother. But it wasn't what you would call a model Christian home. It was a good home. Certainly a little better than my mother's as far as circumstances. His father was a good man, but As I understand it, did not really have spiritual leadership in the home, but his mother made up for it. She was a godly woman. But I will tell you, friends, somewhere along the line, my dad got a hold of the real gospel. I have a feeling it was for my grandmother because she lived it. The real deal. And I will tell you, I knew my grandmother had something, and I wanted it. And I knew my dad had something real, and I wanted it. I have never been interested in heading for the exits because I knew my parents had the real deal. You say, well, preacher, your last name's Van Gelderen. I mean, wasn't it, like, strict? Like, didn't you have all these rules? Like, couldn't you go to the movie theater? Or no, I, I'll be honest with you. I mean, it was pretty strict, I guess. I don't know. I really wasn't concentrating on that, because when Jesus shows up, you're not really, in, you are know, just not worried about the strictness. Amen. I'm just telling you all truth, friends. I never felt like it. I was under-constrained. It's the real gospel. He said, well, preacher, were they perfect? No, they weren't perfect. They made their mistakes, but I can remember my mother sitting down with me, tears streaming down her face, saying, well, Jim, would you forgive me? I said, what'd you do, Mom? She'd tell me. I'm thinking, well, that was really nothing. (laughs) You see what I do to my sister. You know, uh, (laughs) you understand, friends, there was something real there. And I will tell you, friends, when Jesus shows up, you want him. The true gospel, friends, is just Jesus showing up. Aren't you glad he showed up the day you trust him to keep you out of hell? Amen. Every day of my life, I need Jesus to show up. You know, some people, you look at a preacher in the pulpit, and sometimes you think, wow. I ask my wife. She's not saying wow. She knows me. And she knows that I have got to be delivered or I'm done. You look up here, you know, sometimes a young person looks up and says, Wow, guy preaching all these people. Listen, when I was in high school, I, the last thing on planet Earth I wanted to do was talk to people. I didn't like people. <laughs> Give me a book. Let me be alone. <laughs> I don't like to get in front of people. I was scared to get up in front of people. I was shy. You know, friends, when you, when you, when you, God, every preacher out here knows it. Every preacher out here knows it. When God called you, aren't you glad? God does not call the gift that he gifts the called. Yeah. It's the, it's the gospel. It's the real deal. God does in our lives. We realize it's Jesus. It's, it's, and, I, and I know every preacher out here, you and I both know. There, there's, I, I remember in my early ministry, you try hard, fall flat on your face. Try hard, fall flat on your face. Try hard, say, God, I can't do it. And God says, okay, time you learn that. Now we can get somewhere. <laughs> the end of self is the beginning of God. There's some preacher at night gets to, needs to come to the end of self. You need to be delivered from your selfishness. You need to be delivered from your anger. You need to be delivered from it. You need to be delivered. But i got good news. He'll deliver you. Amen. Now, remember, salvation from hell is a one-time thing. What we're talking about is a day-by-day, step-by-step. It's, a, it's a, a step of faith by step of faith by step of faith. And when you stop stepping by faith, guess what? You're back into the false gospel. And we all understand that. So the tragedy of the heteros gospel is it leads to flesh indulgence. But I'm convinced, friends, I am convinced tonight, I am absolutely convinced tonight, teenagers in our independent Baptist fundamental churches will flock to Jesus if they can see him. I am telling you, friend, it's the truth. We're just in a church out in California, good church, and a lot of good kids, but any Christian school has trouble, has needs. And they were, they were burdened about several other kids. The week's going on, we're praying. God began to move, but I'll never forget that final service. Kids standing at the microphone Testifying. God deliver them from anger, God delivered them from bitterness and all kinds of things and confessing this and getting right with their parents, being thrilled about it and getting right. It was just, it was stunning. And I'll never forget, the last 25 minutes I began to realize these were not kids who'd gotten right during the week. These were kids who had gotten right as a result of the testimony. 25 minutes, one right after another, of kids broken. You know why? Because they saw Jesus in their classmates. You know, it was neat. The second to the last girl got up, wept her way for a four minute, five minute testimony. She couldn't stop crying. She said, Mine and my girlfriend buddies, we go down the store and we go discount shopping. She said, That means we steal. We shoplift, that's what we call it. One girl watches while the other steals. She began to outline all the stuff she was doing. And she said, You know, she said, I skipped school today. I didn't want to come and hear the preaching. She said, I came tonight because everybody was coming. And she said, Kids started giving testimony. She said, I was sitting over there. I was just laughing, making fun. She said, then I realized that they had something. It was real. She couldn't articulate it this way, friend, but all of us in this room can. You know, she began to see Jesus through 15-year-olds and 16-year-olds. And she wanted him. I am telling you, friend, the true gospel, it's the need of the hour. I need it. I suspect you do, too. Lord, help us tonight. Help us tonight. Just to be honest in our hearts about the false gospel. Or we confess we're needy tonight. We confess it. We need God. And help us tonight to get honest, and I pray that steps of faith would be taken tonight where we would become aware of our need. Lord, help us to see it tonight. We cannot trust you if we don't believe we need you. So work in these moments, we ask. We simply ask for you to do what only you can do and to touch our hearts. We'll thank you, Lord, in your name. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. How many of God's people tonight would... So, you know, preachers, I'm sitting here tonight. God has opened my heart to at least one, maybe more, areas where I can see it. It's a works mentality. It's I can do this. I don't need God. And I can see it has brought bondage. It's brought defeat. There's no peace. There's no joy. I can see clearly tonight God has identified fingers of the false gospel. I have fallen from grace. And God has showed me that tonight. Would you lift your hand if God's done that tonight in your heart? Amen. God bless you. Thank you very much. You can put your hands down. Is there anyone here tonight saying, you know, preacher, I, I don't even know if I were to die or to go to heaven. I have not preached a full message, obviously, to the folks that don't know Jesus. But if you're here, friend, i got good news for you. i got real good news for you. Jesus Christ can save you tonight. He can wash your sins away, give you eternal life, if you just trust Him to do it. You've got to sense your need. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved from hell. Trust Jesus, because He died for you, shed His blood, and rose again. Trust Him to save you, and He will. He can. He died for you. He shed blood for you. They can wash sin away. Does anyone across the room say, Preacher, I, that's what I need tonight. I need to know I'm going to heaven and my sins are washed away. I, that's good news. I need that tonight. Is anyone like that across the room? Anyone at all? Just raise your hand until I see it. I'll not embarrass you. Won't point you out. Love to pray for you. Love to do that tonight. Anyone at all? Would you just stand to your feet right where you are? Wherever you are, just stand to your feet. Heads about, bowed and eyes are closed. Tonight, if God's touched your heart, God gives grace to thee. The very essence of humility is, God, I need you. I need you. I need you in my marriage. I need you in my attitude. I need you tonight, God. I've been sick and tried to try, and I can't do it. I need you. You can have an old-fashioned altar. You just come and just call out to God, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I'm sick of it. Playing a game, I'm sick and tired of it. God, I need you the instruments are going to play you you do what god wants you to do